So we are in our second week in this little series. It's probably going to be a three-weeker on leadership. And it's going to be a lot of kind of what we talked about here. Um, it is, we talked last week about how Jesus says the boss, as Carrie shared with you. And it's about being submissive to him and what he wants for your life. It really is a full surrender of everything. It's kind of crazy. And I will say this as a person who's in the church. It's not a surrender to church. It's a surrender to Jesus. That's where salvation lies. That's where true hope and life lies. And it's not in an institution, uh, but in a person. And that's Jesus himself. And so um, I, I, this is coming up this fall because the um, leadership team here at the church did a retreat. And uh, we spent a day kind of knocking around Highland, kind of like they're going to do in Nashville. Um, and praying with each other and talking about what God is doing in our community and in our church and what we sense God doing. And uh, we came up with some kind of ideas and principles. And one of the first ones that, that this the three-week series is based on is the idea that um, Family Bible Church, for better or for worse, for now, um, is an elder-led, pastorally charged, congregationally affirmed church. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But I know it's a mouthful, but it's just a way of thinking about the church. Because sometimes we struggle more like, you know, we had the question asked of us, well, who's, who, how does this work? And who's in charge around here? Whatever. And... Uh, we really came to that conclusion that the way we actually function, no matter how we want to function, the way we actually function is that we are, we are um, elder-led or a leadership team-led, as we would say that, right? Uh, pastorally charged, that means a few of us, Chris, myself, Pastor Dan, um, have been given re specific responsibilities in church to do um, on behalf of, of the team and the church body for the sake of the body. And then, um, and then congregationally affirm means that when we go somewhere, we do something. Uh, well, not when we go somewhere, I guess, but when we make a decision around here, what you'll notice is that we will say things three weeks in a row usually and then ask, and ask you for feedback the whole time. Rick Scoggins is famous for saying, we want to hear from you, we want to hear from you. Like if you have an opinion because you matter to what God is doing in this church. And it doesn't mean you matter because like we want to make sure you feel included. Like if you really have a conviction about what God is doing in this church, we will listen to you because we do not believe that, um, we believe that uh, that's how God reveals himself is through communities, right? Um, it's a dangerous thing when you have a person who says, I heard from God and this is what God said and a bunch of people follow that person. That's very dangerous. And so as those who are submitting to Jesus, uh, we lead differently. So anyway, that's what we're talking about today. Um, we're going to spend some time in Scripture, of course. That's where we get our model from. And, and it's crazy. I was telling some this week when I was preparing this sermon, there is so much stuff in Scripture about how the church is called to operate. It's unbelievable, really. Because when you look into the world, there's so many models. But I'm not sure that many of them line up with Scriptures. And I'm going to say ours probably won't perfectly either. We're going to screw this up repeatedly because the Holy Word is perfect. And we are not perfect, but we're going to try our best to submit to his word and to his will. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me before we get into the word today, um, that God would give us his wisdom, because we need his wisdom to understand any of this stuff about his son, Jesus. So pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, we give you thanks and praise today again for the chance to worship you. And we come here, and I pray, Father, it is not just on Sundays that our hearts sing praise to you, that our wills are submitted to you. Um, I pray, Father, that as... as um, men and women, uh, as uh, followers of Jesus, as believers in the gospel, as believers in his salvation, that we would submit to you in all days of our lives, in all situations, Father. But you know us, and we, we make mistakes every day, and we, we don't always listen. Uh, Father, we want to listen more. So today we ask that you would help us to listen more, 
Father God, uh, I, I pray that you would inspire us to understand your word. I would I pray that you would inspire the words I share, but they, they are my words. I pray that what, what people would hear in their hearts would be your words and what you would have for them today. And Father God, you love each of us dearly, and you desire for us to be wise and to know wisdom. So I pray today that by your grace and mercy, and in the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus, that you would impart wisdom to every person here, no matter how young or how old, no matter how um, seemingly far from you or how seemingly close to you, that you would impart your wisdom for each of us today, that we would be changed because we came. We love you so much, and we thank you for the work you're doing here, and we pray that you would do this for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're going to get into this, this uh, idea this morning. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit, and then we're going to settle into some scriptures. But, and today is uh, this idea. Last week it was Jesus is the boss. That's always true. And today this is the idea that um, from among yourselves, right? There's a famous passage in Acts 6. We're not going to look at it, but that's kind of where that comes from, where, where the apostles are trying to figure out how to do this church thing, and they say, choose from among yourselves, right? And, and sometimes we create hierarchies, you know, and that's what we're going to try not to do today. We're going to try to cast a different vision for what it means to be a leader in the church than a hierarchical, kind of top-down, bureaucratic thing, but, but some plan that God had for his people to love each other well while we're on this earth. And so, um, but they did, the apostles said, um, choose from among yourselves to the church um, in, the, in Acts 6. You can read that if you want to. And then I want to remind you that um, today, uh, as we get into those two verses, and I'm just going to share them with you. You don't have to turn there. Um, let's see, one's going to be Acts 14, 23. Um, you can write this down if you want, but we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But this is what it says in the book of Acts. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. There's a, man, that verse right there is a whole sermon in and of itself. But I want you to see that Paul and Barnabas, the early founders of, of the Christian church, proclaiming the good news that the Messiah had come in Jesus, had gone all throughout the land, starting churches, and then the word says, appointing elders or appointing leaders. And some of you might have baggage with the word elder. I don't know. Um, I know when I first came to Family Bible Church, that was kind of a no-no word around here, elder, because there was some uh, history, I guess, with some people where that word had been abused, and it had been used in exactly the opposite way of what Scripture is going to tell us today, how that role should be used in the church of God. Um, I want to share another scripture with you. This is from um, Titus. Uh, Titus, the men, by the way, Bible study, I've been studying First, Second Timothy, and Titus. This is Titus 5. You don't have to turn there again. I'm just going to read this to you. Um, this is what Paul says. He says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and, here it is again, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So again, he says, this is why you're there, to appoint elders in every town as I've directed you to do. So Paul had this word um, to the church. And uh, so it was this idea that the people that were called to lead in the church of God were already in the church of God. I don't want you to miss that. See, now we have lots of denominational structures and we have lots of kind of hierarchy that men have tried to honor God with and I'm not picking on that at all because we make messes here at Family Bible Church every day, okay? But they, they, they try to create a, a structure, but what I want you to notice, and I was struck by this as I studied the word, is that what would happen was the gospel would be preached in a town, and people would hear the gospel, that is, that Jesus died to forgive all of our sins, that, that not only did he die and was put in the grave 
you know, to prove how much he loved us, but that the Father had raised him to new life, that there was a resurrection, a physical <sighs> resurrection of someone who had been put to death and that Jesus had overcome death and therefore was the same to us, a promise that we will also overcome death in Jesus. The whole gospel, right? Not gospel for good times, not gospel for bad times, but gospel for all eternity gospel. Well, Paul would come and preach this message about the Messiah, and then, and whenever people would come to believe it, then that would start a church. And so what he would do is he would say, from amongst yourselves. So he would find people in that church to appoint as leaders in that church. And those leaders had very serious responsibilities. I'm going to ask now, if you would, you brought a Bible today, you can open it up and turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to spend some time here today. Um, this is a really poignant text, Acts chapter 20, verse 25, if you want to turn there. Um, and th this is uh, Paul, and he's speaking to people that you're going to find out he will never see again, you know. And any time in the Bible, the words are recorded. They're all important, but when you have someone saying, man, this is the last thing I'm going to say to you, I just I find that very poignant. The final words, you know. I mean, if you had to give a final speech to someone in your life because you knew you'd never see them again, what would you say? What would you say? Well, this is what the Apostle Paul chose to say. Chapter, five, uh, chapter 20 of Acts, verse 25. Now I know that none among you whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. And then verse 26. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. 27. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you, now listen, the whole will of God, the whole will of God. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about surrender to Christ. It's everything in your life. You know, there's no part of your life that Jesus doesn't care about. And Paul says, I, I proclaimed you the whole will of God. And we can, we can spend some time and we'll spend some time on that um, at a future date. The will of God. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Okay, so he's speaking to leaders in the church. He's speaking to believers in the church and he says this he says um keep watch over yourselves and the flock which the holy spirit has made you an overseer by the way i will point out that when we were talking up here a moment ago we prayed that prayer god help us to first be disciples and then make disciples right there's this weird thing we can get into where we aren't submitting ourselves to god but we think we're helping others come to christ and that's not the way it works he says First, watch over yourselves, keep watch over yourselves, and then all the flock, over which the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about that next week, has made you an overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he has brought, which he has bought with his own blood. I'm going to read on 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. That's a long time ago Paul's talking about this. 31. So be on your guard. Remember that, there are, that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. 
who said, it is more blessed to give than receive. And then when he said this, he knelt down with them and he prayed. Then they all wept and they embraced him and they kissed him. This is Paul's final word. And he gives two clear commands. He's like, watch over yourselves and then watch over those whom you are an overseer. Right? This is the, I, a beginning of the understanding of the, the, the responsibility that we have to one another in the church. Beginning of the understanding of that. I'll, I'll say something else here that he says, it's the Holy Spirit that made you shepherds over the church of God, right? That's, and I, let's talk for a minute about shepherding, okay? I mean, literally, and this is really weird, we don't have many shepherds now. I don't know if there's any shepherds that are traditional. But the shepherding role was a very active role shepherding now has kind of turned into building fences and corrals and shoots and you know what I mean you get staff and you do that and it's all very mechanized right but but in the t time of the Bible my understanding is that shepherding and I think in many third world countries where we still see shepherding happening today it is not like that at all I mean you see shepherding like two boys walking down the street with animals that's what shepherding looks like like in the public streets you know you see um people on hillsides with flocks under their care and there's dogs they use dogs to run the animals and but it's a person and they're caring for all of these sheep moving them around it's something that happens out in the wild it doesn't happen in the safety of our own confines it's something that is done for the benefit of the sheep to sustain them to keep them safe to lead them to water or to grass to new pastures and this is what Paul says it looks like to care for the people of God this is what this role looks like so it doesn't look like like a, necessarily a shepherd who would start lecturing the sheep on what they ought to do or not to do or or you know living lives but more this kind of and I tried to represent it here this kind of amongst ourselvesness right that we begin to learn to care for one another that, that whenever we see a brother or sister who's about to go off a cliff or about to go the wrong way toward a desert that we run over and we say wait 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 come here a minute not because we're trying to control but because we love one another by the way, um, all, all these things, there's, again, we're talking about this kind of flat hierarchy where we're, we're all doing this together. I mean, that's really what I talk about family groups. When I get excited. It's because you start to see people shepherd each other in life. Like you start talking about, pa I told Chris, we were talking, I said, you talk about pastoral care. When people just love each other well, that's what it looks like. When people weep together, when people celebrate together, when people pray together, when people do life together, that's what it looks like. The people of God following God together. But we have the tendency to turn it into something, something else. I want to say something else from, from this passage. Be shepherds of the church of God, right? The ecclesia, those who are called out by the Holy Spirit, which he, God, bought with his own blood. And, and if you ever think, man, and you know, if you're... <laughs> I get discouraged as a pastor because every time I see reports on TV or programs where about churches, it is rarely good news. Like, when I find good news, I'm like, yes, some good news. Because it's always about abuse or about power or about manipulation or about cheating or scandals. And I'm always like, no, you know. And it's not just no because the world sees us that way and that's unappealing. That's part of my no. I'm like, no, Jesus died to save sinners, man. There's no better message that we can bring than that. 
But I say no also because that is the people that God died to save. And, and, and we share that good news, and people believe it, start to believe it, and then they get into this intimate relationship, and then we abuse them. That's horrible. And so part of this, you know, he purchased with his own blood is what Paul says. You remember what Paul said at the beginning of this? I am innocent of all men's blood. Why? Because he says this is a God-sized task making disciples. This is a God-sized task to shepherd people. And it takes all his people being obedient to his spirit and coming together to care for one another. So all of a sudden, it's not about a hierarchy or an institution or organizational chart. It's about people who are learning to love each other well. Man, and, and I can't tell you, I can't, and it says here, you know, it says that at the end they wept and they kissed him and they, they were grieving, I'm sure, the loss, but they also were celebrating the love, right? How much he loved them. I, I, um, I get, I, I, I don't know if you're like that, I have this always, this tense relationship with the church because I love God, I love his people, but man, we're so harsh to each other sometimes. And the thing that makes me lament, like, more than anything else and I've said this to you guys, but when we, and this is why I was, we're talking about this, because this is how we function, and we're trying to be transparent with the church about how the, the church functions, you know. But fundamentally, what we don't want to ever do is grind people up and spit them out in the name of making something for Jesus. Right? I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it won't cost you everything to follow Jesus. I think it will cost you everything to follow Jesus. I think it will cost you everything to follow Jesus. But I'm saying that we would not take one another and artificially put each other through a meat grinder, abuse each other, consider ourselves as widgets or cogs in a wheel. You know, we just need you for a program. We just need you to fit over here. We need you to make this thing work. And then whenever people invariably break down because they do, the church goes, we got more important work to do than to care for you. That's garbage. Because those are the people that Jesus died to save. We are the people that Jesus died to save. We are the ones who are bought with the redemption of his blood. And then we create some chart that says we can abuse people because we have more important work to do in the name of Jesus. I told you that scary verse. Lord, Lord, did we not do great things in your name? And he said, I never knew you, man. I don't want that to be said to me when I get to, to heaven and meet my Savior. I want to know him. I want to love the people that he loves, even if it ruins all of our plans. Even if it takes way too long, I want to love the people that God has called us to love. And none of us do it perfectly. Well, he says, keep watch over yourselves and the flock over which the Holy Spirit made you. And the price is the blood of Christ. Okay? And then he gives us warnings and stuff. I want us to consider, though, another uh, passage as well. And this is going to be First Peter uh, chapter 5, I believe. So you can turn there if you want. First Peter chapter 5. And... Um, this is another encouragement. Now, this is from the, uh, the Apostle Peter. You know, Peter and Paul, those are the big names, right, in uh, Christianity. And this is the Apostle Peter, uh, his letter to the churches. And this is what he says in verse 5, starting in chapter, one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. I apologize for that. Chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, right? And again, that word might have baggage, but you can substitute out other words like leader, um, shepherd, pastor, like, there's no differentiation in Scripture between those words. It's all the same word. 
to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will share in the glory to be revealed. So there's his confidence in who he is, where he is, and where he's going. Verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. And I want you to notice that he ties those two words together there then. What we heard earlier, being overseers in the church and being a shepherd in the church and being an elder in the church. He just tied all those together in that verse. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Now here we go. Not greedy for, for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, look at that, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so here's Paul, and he's talking to the leaders. One of the ways that the word elder gets confused a bit also is because someone said to me this week, they said, I'm supposed to respect my elders, but they were having a hard time with that. And this was a fairly young person, and um, I was struck by that word. See, there is, because that's a young generation using the word elder outside of the church context. And, and sometimes we think that that elder means someone who is older, right? Can be. But in the context we're talking about, it's those that God has given maturity, I'll say that first, and responsibility to. And we're going to talk, there's some more restrictions on who, who should lead and why, but some maturity and then some, um, uh, on what I said, some respect to, <laughs> something like that. Some overseeing responsibilities to them, okay? Um, so Paul says this, I appeal to fellow older, uh, elder, um, be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, serving as overseers. Uh, not because you must, right? Not compulsory, but because you want to, as God wants you to be. And then here we go. Not greedy for money. And why would that matter? But eager to serve. Why would it matter? You know? Um, I, uh, I think this is most often, this idea, and we're talking about this in another verse as well. We're going to get into the first Timothy, Timothy um, chapter 3 as well. Um, a lot of times we think, well, that, that's obviously talking to people who are on staff, and man, that's a fair criticism. You're like, you're only in it for the money. That's why you're here, whatever. Man, that's a fair thing to say about church leaders sometimes, you know. Sometimes, sometimes church leaders won't leave the, the job they're in because they don't want to lose the money they're making. That's a true statement, man. There are leaders like that. I think it's equally as complex, though. When you start to, di when you start to, when you start to actually look biblically at the idea of leadership and eldership or, or shepherd or overseer um, and, you, and pastor, and you start to put those together, you start to look at everyone. And why is it a danger that someone would eat be eager for money, and they're a leader in the church of God. Because it is easy to take advantage of one another in the situation. Outside of the pastorate, I'm saying, or outside of paid staff. You know, and I'm thinking of, say there's a leader who has a particular business interest, and he comes and he's counseling someone, and they, they have a problem, but his business could benefit from them at the same time that meets the problem they have. That would be a hard thing and if he is more a slave to money than a slave to Christ, he could be tempted to decide, you know, I will help you out if you, my, servant, my firm has exactly what you need and take advantage of an opportunity where someone is coming for counsel or wisdom or insight. I, I don't think it's only paid staff who, who, who fall into this trap. Uh, this is why Jesus talks so much about these gods in our life, the God of money, the God of God, you know, who you're going to serve. Because all of us have these things, and, and I know many of you here are small business owners, or you work, you know, for uh, companies and things like that, and you always have this conflict of doing something for somebody or, or making it profitable. 
I mean financially profitable. Right? And God says, in those instances, you shouldn't be eager for the money. You shouldn't be. That shouldn't be what drives you. It shouldn't be. Um, I, and I will say, because I, I feel like I have to, and this is a sermon that's about me, but I'm saying I am paid staff by this church. But if you think I'm eager for money, come talk to me about it, man. Because I want to be pure with what I'm doing with Jesus. I, and that is, not, that is not what drives me, I hope. I hope. And if you think it is, I would love to talk to you about that. So not greedy for money, but eager to serve. And that's interesting, those are, so you just lay it all in line no matter what it costs. And I know there's lots of people who do that with their, their businesses, and they just lay things out, and they use everything they have for the glory of God. Not lording it over, that's what I want to talk about too, but, uh, but being examples to the flock. And there's the other big abuse we've seen in leaders in the church, is <clears throat> leadership becomes less about being an example to those that are around us, and more about telling people what they must do, even though we aren't doing it ourselves. Right? lording it over them, right? I mean, we call Jesus Lord, Lord, right? But then we would, we would pretend or assume that we are the mouthpiece of God and that people must obey us to obey Jesus. And that's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous thing. And Jesus says no. And again, it goes back to what we prayed earlier. It's, it's about you being first an example to others. And then if someone comes and they, they ask hey, how do I, then we will tell you what we would, what would do because we're submitted to Christ. And maybe it's wrong, you say it's wrong. Maybe it's right, you say it's right. But we're not going to say, you must do this. And I'll tell you one more thing, and we're going to get into 1 Timothy 3. But I'll tell you one more thing that um, is a real problem for the church. And I'm just going to confess this this morning, and we'll see what God does with it. But conditional love is problematic in the church. We will love you if, right? I will, I will pastor you until... Oh, you can come accept. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, I just don't see that in Scripture. I just see that we're called to love each other and keep loving each other. And as long as we can tolerate each other, we should be together loving each other and seeing what Jesus has for us. And, and I, I, I think we all have that. Um, we might have it in our homes with our children. I will love you if. And that, that's dangerous stuff. Dangerous stuff. And... Um, and so we're called to love like Jesus loves, which is unconditionally. One of the biggest mysteries of Jesus, and I'll just tell you, I've felt this way for years, years, is that God hates sin. God hates sin so much that the people he made, he threw them out of the garden because they disobeyed him, and he can't stand it. It's not in his nature. And yet, Jesus came and said, with sinners and talked with sinners and, and, and healed sinners and saved sinners and died for sinners and loves sinners and has his spirit live in sinners. That's crazy to me how, how God does that work through Jesus. But he certainly does. So not lording it over people but being examples to the flock, sold out to Jesus first. And then the, when the chief shepherd comes, and the chief shepherd is coming, man, that, that's something else that you ought to give us pause as we follow Jesus together. So there's the second thing. Now here's the third. And this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of end with this, I'll say that, but um, chapter um, 3 of Timothy. You've probably heard it before, but you can turn there if you want. 
chapter 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying then. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, we've heard that word now three times, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of the house of God? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and then the devil's trap. Verse 8, I'm going to keep reading. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They keep hold of the deep truths of the faith, faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. And those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance, this is crazy, in their faith in Jesus Christ. It's an honor and a privilege to serve as a leader in the house of God. And it's, and it's not something, you know, that we take lightly. If done well, it, it earns an excellent standing in God's presence, right? And an assurance of your faith in Jesus. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I read this to you because I want to be, I want to disclose that this is the standard by which we hold each other accountable on leadership team. Just recently, we signed a document that had these exact things in it. A promise to one another and an invitation to examine one another in all those areas you just heard, right? Uh, not given to drunkenness, not a lover of money, um, not quarrelsome, gentle, all these principles and standards, you know, managing our households well, and, and, and again, not lording it over them. That's the, the thing, right? I mean, and all of a sudden, and we were talking about this, and it's like, so just because I signed this, am I saying I am these things? We've already said none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. But it means that I aspire to be these things by the grace of God. And I'm going to invite you in to hold us accountable. Okay? Now, why am I telling the whole church that now? Well, first of all, it's in the Bible. So y'all ought to know that. That's the standard leaders are held to. And then secondly, while we hold each other accountable, you guys hold those who are on leadership team accountable at this church as long as you're here. You hold us accountable. And so if there are areas, and I can tell you that one of the hardest things that happens is when people want to examine your life. Man, they want to see, is this what it's really like for you? Do you really believe this stuff? And, and I know sometimes that, um, people have, have come around, and I know it's probably happened for some of our, our elders of the church, our leaders, leadership team, um, that, that people come around and they see something and they're like, I don't, that's not the way a leader acts. That's not what a leader does. They might be right. They also might be wrong might be wrong you know i mean maybe because it's not about perfection but it's about submitting to christ and holding all these standards up so i just want to talk through a few of them but here here so the husband of but one wife this is so funny to me but i was talking to an, another church leader and this is the verse that they're really hung up on you know um not because they want to have multiple wives but they just have a real doctrinal history with this idea of husband of but one wife why, and by the way, um, the men did an awesome study of this by John Stott. And so if you were in the men's study, you know how much you walked through that. And we actually created an application from First Timothy and Titus 
uh, on, on the qualifications to be an elder and also a deacon in the church. What it would look like to have a fill out that thing. Because of the kind of work that happens in church, because it's very intimate work, do you know that that's true? Like people come to us with very real problems and in very open ways. There's a real danger of sin on everyone's part, all of our parts. And so here he says, uh, Paul says, you know, um, to Timothy, young Timothy, that leaders should be the husband of one wife. This is controversial probably because in the time maybe you didn't have to have one wife. You could have a wife and multiple um, mistresses. You could have maybe multiple wives. I mean, you know, uh, we went down to uh, Honduras, I remember, and some of the people in Honduras were, were making comments about the, all the young women that were on the trip. They assumed that the young women belonged to the men on the trip. That's not the way it works here, right? Um, we were just serving Jesus together. So there's this idea that that's normal, though, that, that, that you, you would not be faithful to your wife. And Paul holds up this as a standard, that you are a faithful man, that you are um, uh, faithful to your one wife, right? Big deal, because why? If you're not, there's too many opportunities to, to, to make, um, uh, to sin, to bring down the name of Jesus Christ, to bring down the name of his people, uh, to, to have yet another report on the news about some, some uh, tragedy. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's horrible. So that's one of the things. Um, temperate, self-controlled, man. Respectable, hospitable, able to teach. I want to talk about a few of these, but anger issues. I was talking to somebody last week, man, and I said, I think every dude has anger issues. I don't know if there's any guy, that, and I know maybe some women have, I'm not trying to pit, not leave the women out, maybe all you women are angry too, but man, I know almost every guy I know is angry, and I see young men, young men, like young men, who are just barely getting into puberty, and they're angry already, I'm like, dude, just wait. It's going to get crazy in a minute. Like, I don't even know. And we pray that God's Spirit would, over, would, would you know, um, overwhelm our sinful nature to be angry and to act in our anger. You know, the Bible doesn't say you don't be angry. It says don't sin when you're angry because the Bible knows you're going to get angry. And I know women get angry about things too, man, because I'm married. You know what I mean? Chris gets angry. I know some of you think she's not, but she gets angry sometimes, man. And, um, and uh, we all do. But, not, not, uh, but self-controlled and temperate, man. What beautiful ideas and words uh, for leaders. And this is written to men, right? Respectable. That's not a word that many men aspire to anymore, to be respectable, right? Um, hospitable. We talk about family groups, opening our homes to one another, inviting people in. I keep saying this to you guys, but we have lost something in hospitality. And maybe you guys have it. Maybe you're the kind of people that you say, hey, come on in, sit down, take a load off, stay as long as you want. When we go other places, specifically outside of our country, but I'm sure it happens locally here as well, there's this, someone said southern. It's a southern thing. This week I was down south uh, visiting some family. And, um, you know, I said, I'll go by and see them, but I don't know how long I'd stay, and I don't want to make it awkward. And they're like, that's a southern thing here. You stay as long as you want. You know, like you can sit on the front porch all day and just talk about stuff. And for whatever reason, uh, we have lost some hospitality here. Uh, maybe you haven't, but I know many people have. Um, sometimes we make excuses about our hot, well, I don't have nice stuff. I don't have enough stuff, man. But I've seen people with nothing just put out chairs and bring out food and just celebrate having a guest. Being hospitable is a mark of a, of a leader in the church. 
uh, able to teach, and we believe in Family Bible, it means scripture, able to teach scripture to the people of God. That's a standard that's held out for all leaders in the church. Um, not given to drunkenness, right? Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Uh, not a lover of money. There it is again, right? And then managing his own family well. This, and all those principles, by the way. So here's some things, because I feel like, you know, so I'm telling you to hold us accountable on those things. But in our homes, we are held to the same standards. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what he says. If you don't manage your household well, how can you manage the house of God well? The idea is that what Jesus wants in your homes is miniature models of the church. And the church should be a big model of the family in the homes. That's what we talk about, Family Bible Church, right? You're part of the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And, and so he, he kind of says, if you don't do it in this little environment here, how are you going to do it with all these people here? Matter of fact, how are you going to be an example to the flock if you don't do it well, right? And so then all of a sudden, and this is a big problem then if you aspire to be a leader in the church, all of a sudden all these things that you don't do well just cut really deep because you're like, oh God, I need your help with this. I don't do that well. I need to be changed, transformed by the gospel in this area of my life. And I know I probably speak for all of the... Uh, my brothers on the leadership team here, we all feel that pain from time to time. We know it. We know it, that we don't do things um, the way they ought to be done all the time, and so we fail. Um, so, not a recent convert, right? So there's some time. Matter of fact, later on it says deacons, they should have a time of testing. That's interesting. Kind of give them a trial period to see how it goes. I don't know what, that's just in Scripture. I mean, we just read it. Um, he must also be a good reputation with outsiders, so not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. And then it talks about wives, and I want to talk about that for just a brief minute. But, you know, there's this biblical model of a married man, and it says something like, it goes something like this. It's for this reason the man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife until he become one flesh, right? When we dig into these scriptures about men, and this can be an issue where people are like, no, wait a minute, why are men leaders? You know, I mean, if you look at scripture, God defined men and women differently. He did. He just did. Read your Bible. It's in there. It's like, this is, he made men, he made women, but he made them in his image. And it doesn't make any of us more or less valuable. But then here, when it talks about wives, there, there's this reality. And Paul does this so consistently in scripture, uh, perfectly in scripture, I'd say, because the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he always sees the oneness in a married couple. He always sees the oneness as being the primary issue. So anything that's held out for a husband is held out in the same way for a wife. And they might have different issues, you know, because he talks about some of the issues. What did it say? It said, um, in the same way, wives, women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy and everything. But he understands in instinctively or inspirationally, he understands that if a man is leading his wife is leading to. Is that crazy to say? I mean, that's what he, he sees it as one flesh. So he's not like, okay, men come to the women meetings and women stay home. He's like, no, I get what God's doing is making one flesh in that marriage. Little side note, by the way, and this is something if you talk to me personally, you know this is true, but if you, in your life, if you're a married person, in your life, the best thing you can do for every part of your life is love your spouse well, period. I've talked to you guys sometimes about your kids. Oh, I want to help my kid. Love your wife or husband well. Oh, I got this thing at, at work. It's, you know, love your husband or wife well. You know, I want to honor Jesus with everything I have. Love your husband or wife well. Like, just keep pushing, because there's a natural tendency to not. 
and pay attention to everything else. And in church life can be the worst sometimes. Just tear and, you know, just, you go here, you go there. Don't hang out together. And we've got to remember, no, there's this oneness thing that God's doing in marriage. It comes first. And I'm not just saying that like a throwaway line. It really does. You, you need to focus on your marriage if you're married. And by the way, that's not to say if you're not married, you're broken. Because I don't believe that's true. God's been teaching me repeatedly on the holiness of single people and on the call to marriage. It's a, it's a call in our lives if we're called to be married. And if you're not, you're called to be single. And there's no sin in singleness. There's just not. And sometimes we do that as a culture. All right, so here's the last thing I want to say, and then we're going to be done. I promise. This is it. But we, I want to hit this real quick. So um, in uh, Ephesians um, 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to, um, I don't have to look it up. It says this, um, therefore, submit to one another out of respect for Christ, right? One of the things that's happened in this kind of conversation that we've had about why lead this way, because many of the models that we see in leadership team or in, lead, in churches and stuff is that you have a leader and then a bunch of people follow, and I've heard a lot of conversations about that. But, but there's this overarching principle that happens in Scripture, and we read it in Ephesians 5.21, where it says, Therefore, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I want to say that this um, amongst yourselves thing, that's what we keep trying to do. And it's, and it's, it's countercultural to do that. Um, I can't tell you how many stern talkings to I've gotten to about how this is not going to work well. But biblically, we are called to do it. I know some of you have a Bible and it says instructions for Christian households there. You know, submit to one another. That's true for your household, but it's true for the church of God. And so as leaders in the church, that's what we aspire to do at Family Bible Church. We get together, we talk, we pray, we hear concerns, we share concerns. Not our concerns, your concerns, our concerns too. But then in the end of the day, we submit to one another and we keep praying, God, show us a way. God, make a way that we can move forward together because that's what we want to do. And uh, I hope that makes sense to you. Why would that matter? Because at the end of the day, it's Lord, Lord Jesus who should be honored. At the end of the day, no matter what we do as a church, if we can't set before our Heavenly Father, if we can't set before our Lord and Savior Jesus and just say, this is about you, we've sinned. We've sinned. And so I'm just telling you, and it's tough, and my brothers who are on leadership team know, man, we don't agree on everything, and there are times where we leave meetings, I'm just like, oh, why did we do that? Why did I do that? Why? Because am I submitting to my brothers out of love? There are times our leadership team hears someone in the church is hurting and we, we're like upset with ourselves. Why? Why did we do that? Because we weren't submitting to you. We weren't, we weren't listening. We weren't paying attention to your life. It's a big deal. We take it really seriously. I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is consider what the scriptures say. If you come to the family group, we're going to dig into this this week. But if you don't come to the family group, do it on your own. Open up the scriptures and read what the qualifications and standards are for leadership in homes and leadership in the church of God. And then the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is to hold us accountable. And that's crazy. There's a lot of you. And there's even more that aren't here right now that I invite to hold us accountable. And the third thing I'm going to ask you to do is to pray for us. Man, pray, pray for us. Pray for those who are leading in this church. Pray for those who are going to be leading in this church. Pray for those that God has not yet revealed who will be leaders in this church. Pray for uh, all of those who would lead that we would not dishonor Jesus. Right? 
Just pray. Pray for us. We so desperately need your help with that. So that's it. I, I don't know if any of this makes sense to you. I would love to talk with you about it. I know all of us have church history if we've been around a while. I'd love to talk about where you come from or whatever. Fundamentally, though, I, I always want to be talking about what Jesus is doing in your life, too. So if there's something going on, we'd love to talk to you about that. Prayer concerns on the bottom of the card, that's what they're there for. Leaders are in this church because they love you, man. We pay horribly. I don't mean me. I mean our leaders, we pay horribly. So they love you. They're laying their lives down for you. They're, they're, they're just giving it up because they love you guys. And I hope you see that. If there's something going on, they would love to talk with you. They would love to walk a mile with you. They'd love to come and meet with you, have a coffee and pray. That's what we want to do here at Family Bible Church. Pray with me, if you would, that we would honor God in everything um, as, we, as we go back to, uh, to worship in a moment. Father God, we just give you thanks and praise for this time we've had in your word. And, and Lord, I know sometimes we just get this all wrong. And maybe even spending time, it's like, why, why on a Sunday we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a leader? But you have called us to be holy. And not just leaders, but the people that you've called to be yours. You've called to be holy. Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today who, who don't know where they stand with you, that they would know you as Lord and Savior. I mean, that they would know you as the God who is worthy of everything they have that they would know you as the true God, that the God is above anything else in this life or death, Father. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do that work as only you can. I mean, that's why I believe only you can do it, Father. I mean, that's what we ask you for. Um, Father God, our hearts are to be conformed to your will and transformed by your word. I pray, Father God, that we would live a manner glorifying to you. And we have asked for prayer for one another. And I just do pray so much for my brothers here today, my sisters here today who are called to lead. I pray, Father God, for the homes and marriages here today that they would be blessed and strengthened with the biblical model of manhood and womanhood and what we're called to do. Father God, I pray for our children who so desperately need you to be leader in their life that you would be leader and Lord and Savior for our children, that they could know you and that they could know that this life is worth living because of you. Father God, I just give you thanks and praise for the way you work, for the people that you redeem, and for our journey together in this world. We give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen.